I'm Ashley McGee. I'm a health coach, military officer, and military spouse. I'm passionate about helping military women live their happiest and most abundant lives by improving their health. If you're looking for actionable tips and tricks to get healthier while balancing your hectic life, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Healthy Women Warriors podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Women Warriors podcast. I'm Ashley McGee, and I am really, really excited to share this episode with you. Um, This is my interview with Rachel Oswalt. She is a Navy veteran and a military mental health advocate, and she shares her story. It's really incredible and honestly so inspiring um, from a leadership perspective of, okay, here's here's what's happening to our folks, um, and you will probably relate to it, but but here's what we can do better um, in order to, to, to move the needle. So I really, I think you're going to love this. Um, and since this is a conversation around mental health, one thing I do want to make sure I include up front here is that there is a new mental health hotline. So similar to 911 for emergencies, right? There is now 988 for uh, mental health support. It's a suicide and mental health crisis line. And for our veterans, you can dial 988 and then uh, one, and that will actually take you directly to the veterans um, mental health and and suicide prevention line. So um, again, 988 uh, that's pretty new as of recording this. So wanted to make sure I share that resource, but, um, again, get ready to be, to be challenged, to be inspired and to feel, I think very called and motivated, um, to, to get involved in this conversation and in this issue. Uh, so without further ado, here is my interview with Rachel Oswald. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. I am very, very excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am always delighted when, you know, a random connection or like meeting someone through LinkedIn, like you, you know, start talking like, oh, wait, we have so much in common. We need to talk more. We need to get on each other's podcasts. Like it's just this, like, <laughs> it's like a hamster wheel that starts rolling down a hill. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm I'm such a believer in connecting with the right people, right place, right time. And I truly believe that when you put yourself out there in certain situations, i.e. LinkedIn, um, you make those connections that they're so just meant to be. And so I think that this was one of those kind of like divine connections for lack of a better term. I totally agree. So um, I really want to get into kind of the mental health discussion today uh, because I think it's a conversation that's really needed in the military community, um, especially for women. Cause I feel like, I feel like there's just like a lot of like extra that, that goes into kind of our, uh, lives and identity as, as women in the military community. So t- to lead into that discussion, I would love to hear a little bit about your story and your background and how you got into kind of the space. Yeah, absolutely. So I joined the Navy in 2015 prior to joining the Navy. I had, my own slew of mental health issues, mainly anxiety, had never officially been diagnosed with anything. So I knew what anxiety felt like. And I had an idea of what depression felt like, but again, never officially diagnosed. So never really fully explored these mental health areas. But again, you know, when you're going into 
the military, a lot of recruiters tell you like, hey, if you think you have a problem, just hush, hush about it. So I think right off the bat, we're almost indoctrinated going into the military as, hey, don't talk about your issues, especially mental health. Um, and, you know, throughout training and boot camp and all these things is very much encouraged to keep things to yourself because there's always that threat looming over your head of, oh, you don't want to get kicked out. You don't want to be seen as weak. Um, And so it wasn't probably, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half into my time in the military that I really started to realize that I was experiencing really extreme anxiety. And that's where it started for me. I had enrolled to go to school um, at a local community college and my anxiety was so bad that I, I want to say it was like a week or two before school started, I dropped all my classes and for no reason other than the fact that I just had really bad anxiety about it. And I was starting to recognize that I was doing this in other areas of my life. I was committing to something and then not doing it. I was I, just experiencing a lot of fear and panic attacks around a lot of just everyday things mainly training that I was doing in my new environment um, at my command that I was at. The the military is such a different environment compared to what I had done in the civilian sector prior to. Um, I didn't join at 18. I joined in my 20s. And so just a completely whole new world, new state, new environment, new group of people I was around. And so I was actually in a C-school training command at the time that I was experiencing all these anxiety symptoms. And I had talked to one of my instructors, said what I was experiencing, and he recommended that I go talk to someone at Navy Medical. And so I had set up an appointment with my PCM. I walked in there, I told them that, hey, I am experiencing these symptoms. I think it's anxiety. First words out of the Corman's mouth were, you cannot be in the Navy with anxiety, which is oh. yeah, not true at all oh for anyone gosh. listening. Um, tons of people are in the military with anxiety, all kind ca- depression, all kinds of mental health issues, and they function just fine. That's what you know, medical is supposed to be there for us to provide support. So what he ends up doing is he prescribes me with hydroxyzine, I think is what it was. It's like a it's like Benadryl. It's like a, yeah. So if you look it up online, I think this is the medication. Don't quote me on it. But a lot of people supposedly will use it for anxiety as like a calming sedative. But the problem with it being a sedative is that you can only take it at nighttime. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to just produce kind of like a calming effect, probably effective if you're having trouble like sleeping because of anxiety. But my problem is, is I was experiencing anxiety during the daytime. And so I took this at nighttime. All it did for me was it just made me really groggy in the morning. It did not help my anxiety at all. Um, another thing he did is he sent me a referral to go talk to, I think it was occupational medicine. And now occupational medicine It is a psychologist who cannot actually prescribe any medication uh, for mental health. They just kind of like I kind of experienced throughout my mental health journey in the Navy, just kind of gave tools. And to me, the way I saw it is that if you're just going to give me tools, I can easily Google a lot of these tools. I want something specifically tailored to me. But at the time, I did want to be on a medication that would help me because of my panic attacks and because of me not actually moving forward with anything because my anxiety was so bad. So what would happen is I would go in talk to the psychologist, she'd give me homework and I wouldn't do it because of my anxiety. So I'm like, this is kind of this hamster wheel at this point. Um, I ended up going to mental health on base, fill out their 10 page intake form. 
got set up with a therapist. Didn't really feel like I was vibing well with the therapist there. So probably only saw the therapist for max two sessions and stopped, but I was really pushing for, I want to be on some kind of medication. I don't want to be medicated forever, but I need something to get me through this hump of my life. And the lady at the front desk looked at me in the face and she's like, because you have high functioning, high functioning anxiety, I'm going to have to set you up with the civilian psychiatrist, not the military one, because the military psychiatrist is going to look at you and he's not going to want to help you because you're not falling apart. Um, not the exact words that came out of her mouth, something similar to that, but essentially saying that if you have high functioning anxiety and you look like you're okay, then we don't want to help you but this guy might help you. So thankfully the civilian psychiatrist did get me on medication. Um, Gosh, my story with him, you know, I was with that guy for, I want to say like four years, four or five years. And um, you know, he was very like big on pushing medication, but he wasn't very helpful in other areas. So when we're looking at my mental health journey as a whole, there were some bits and pieces where people were very helpful, but then other areas where they weren't. And I truly feel like it should have been a very smooth flowing process throughout, no matter who I was talking to. Um, this particular doctor that gave me my medication that later down the road, when I was trying to get a referral for therapy um, off base, because on base just wasn't really jiving well with me. Um, <laughs> him and I got in a verbal argument where he threw his hands up in the air and told me that the wait's 30 days. That's just what it is. And that's just how it is going to be. And like, yeah, it was, it's bad. Um, trying to give kind of the condensed version of my story here, but essentially when it came down to it, um, the medication wasn't helping. This is why I wanted therapy a few years later, because I got to a really, really low point with my mental health. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with my environment looking back on it. Um, but a lot of it, again, I think mental health goes back a lot to childhood for a lot of people and experiences. And that's where therapy can be very helpful if you have the right therapist. But the problem is, is if you do not have the right therapist and it's not a good fit, therapy is not going to be as effective as it could be. I'm really big on having the right fit, not explaining myself a million times over to different therapists. And um, the Navy just couldn't provide that for me. And so um. What I kind of found out later down the road is that the Navy gives social workers um, as like their mental health workers, not licensed mental health counselors. And so I kind of noticed this pattern. I was diagnosed with an adjustment disorder with generalized anxiety. Uh, I found out once I got out, the VA actually gave me a PTSD diagnosis, um, which I was never able to get when I was in. And... I can't say this for a fact, but I truly believe that the military is really just giving people an under diagnosis, if that's the right word, to make active duty members seem more fit for full duty than they are. And I'm not saying that PTSD means that someone can't do their job in the Navy. I very well think that I could have done 20 years had I gotten the appropriate help and had I been in that right environment for me. Um, but at the end of the day, when we're under diagnosing people and just telling people, Hey, you have an adjustment disorder. When I know I don't have an adjustment disorder, I know it's something else it's invalidating people. And it's not allowing people to get the help that they need so that they can move forward. Um, so 
just kind of a snippet of my story and then tying it in with what I realized after I got out. I just got out this past September uh, 2021. And, um, you know, I'm still learning things every day about my journey. But I I really think that the mental health system in the Navy is so incredibly broken. And um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, and I think probably one of the most heartbreaking things about your story is that it's it's probably not that unique, right? Like this is happening to way too many people. And, you know, like I, you know, you, you were enlisted. I'm an, I'm an officer, right? And like, I always feel that there's this like particular like sense of injustice when enlisted sailors are dismissed like this. Like, Officers, we, we, you know, get paid more, maybe have access to more resources, right? Like, whatever, we, we also have problems in the ranks. But like, when it when it comes to like enlisted sailors being treated like that, like, it boils my blood. Because from a leadership perspective, it is a total, utter failure. So speaking of leadership, you create a petition that went up to the MCPON, right? Yes, I did. So can you tell me a little bit about like what first, like what the Genesis, what, like what gave you the courage of like, I'm going to do this and and how that has kind of, how that has like processed over time. Yeah. So 2019, I went on a detachment to Okinawa, Japan and how that detachment came about in the first place. I was initially supposed to go to Suda Bay, Greece. <clears throat> my command that I was at was extremely upset that I didn't get my um, CDI collateral duty inspector um, collateral duty thing. I don't really know how to explain it, <laughs> um, but they, they were upset that I didn't get a certain qualification. Um, and this qualification, just to kind of give you some background, the aircraft that I worked on was a very avionics heavy aircraft. I was an aviation electronics technician. By getting this collateral duty inspector qualification, I was one of the final people to sign off to say this aircraft is safe for 24 people to fly on Mm -hmm. and you're safe to do your mission. And I truly felt that a lot of people just rushed through to get this so that their eval looked good. And a, I wasn't super comfortable getting it. And I understand that there's this kind of weird area in the military where like, oh, you don't, you're never really fully comfortable with your job, but you should have a level of comfort when it comes to certain things. I truly believe that, especially when it comes to dealing with people's lives um, in training and so much, there's a lot that goes into that. But on top of that, I was also an E4 before I went out to Okinawa. So I wasn't required to get this qualification, but a lot of people did. And so they kind of held that against me. So two weeks before I was supposed to go out to Suda Bay, they sent me out to Japan instead. And the reason that they sent me out there is because the CDI that was going out, who's a E6, um, he wasn't super experienced and I was more experienced on the aircraft than he was. And since I was a more experienced worker, they wanted me to go out with the less experienced CDI kind of backwards. Um, but that's what they wanted me to do. And um, yeah, so when I was out there with him, 
we clashed a lot in the fact that he was an E6, I was an E4. I did make E5 while I was out there, which, you know, created a whole nother slew of problems. But, um, you know, besides the rank dynamic, he also had a like very bad power dynamic, which I think we see with a lot of leadership in the Navy. Um, on top of that, he was just a really bad leader. He had problems with women that a lot of women that we worked alongside brought up multiple times. Um, you know, he just didn't exemplify what I personally believe a leader should exemplify. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe not his fault. I think that a lot of the leadership issues fall back on the Navy, but, um, at the end of the day, when I was on that detachment, my mental health got to a really, really low point. <clears throat> and to the point where I was on the flight line one time, we were looking to repair something in the nose of the aircraft. And there were chains attached to the aircraft. And I had actually wrapped the chains around my neck. And I was just kind of like leaning into it. Like I wasn't actively trying to do anything, but I, it was like the thoughts were going through my head. Mm-hmm. And there was probably 10 people standing a few feet away from me and no one said a word to me. Um, almost every day of that detachment, our LPO, our leader of the entire group would ask everyone, how are you doing today? And almost every day I would respond and say, I'm not okay. And they would just kind of make a joke of it. And so that detachment really opened up my eyes to how leadership and mental health was in the Navy. When I came back from that detachment, I think it was three to four months, um, I took 30 days of leave just to try to like get my head back on track. And um, the 30 days did provide a lot of clarity for me, but I still felt like I was in a really bad place. And that's kind of when I went back to my psychiatrist and wanted to, you know, get a therapist downtown. But that's when I decided that like this system is so broken and my experience with my psychiatrist, my experience on my detachment, um, coming back and talking to my leadership about what had happened and them giving excuses for that E6 that was on debt with me. Um, I, everything together combined, I was like something, something else needs to happen, something different. And so this is why I created this petition to the McPon. Um, and what's interesting is when I created the petition, not only did I create that petition, but I typed up probably a two to three page word document um, that I had compiled from numerous people throughout the fleet in the Navy. Things we can do to fix mental health now, things we can implement today, things we can implement over the next few months, things that we can implement over the next few years, because I recognize that these things take time and you cannot change a culture overnight. Mm-hmm. That along with stories, I had officers reaching out to me. I had enlisted reaching out to me. I had people saying, thank you so much for doing this. This needs to change. Here's my story. Tons of people. And I couldn't send every story to the McPon, but I sent a few off to him. And I did get a response from the McPon. Um, just kind of your generalized, hey, thanks for reaching out. Because this petition was going directly to his email. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just got it off of Global. Probably shouldn't have done that. But, you know, I got to get his attention somehow, right? right. And so... Um, yeah, I got a response saying, hey, we have a walk-in mental health clinic in San Diego. It seems to be working really well. 
I personally too had heard a lot of feedback about that, that people liked it. And he had told me that if it works out well, we'll work on expanding it. He said that if he was ever in my area, he'd love to sit down and meet me. And that was the most I've heard. That was in 2019. It's now 2022. And I've not heard a word from him since. Mm. Um, Nothing as far as I'm aware of has drastically changed in the military. In fact, in my last year in the Navy, I went limdo because a leader, co-worker and friend of mine had taken his own life. And that's really what kind of spearheaded my podcast. And so I continue to do these things to advocate for mental health because I see that things aren't changing. And the way that I see it is when people keep taking their lives and when I'm talking to people who are miserable at work every single day, who are barely hanging on every single day, who aren't comfortable talking to their leadership, their direct chain of command or going to mental health, there's still more work that needs to be done. Yeah, it's great that we have these little bits and pieces here and there where we're making changes. Um, But until I see something drastic taking place, Mm. instead of, oh, we're going to change the uniform again. Oh, we're going to, you know, change this PRT standard. You know, we have these conversations that are drastic about other things in the Navy, Mm. but we're not hearing anyone talking about mental health in a drastic way. And that's a problem. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I first, I mean, like I have to commend your courage, like uh, from, I mean, just being like a junior enlisted and speaking of saying like, I'm not good. Like, holy crap. That's amazing. Like, and I think so there are so few people that are comfortable doing that in the military, which like says a hell of a lot about our culture, right? Like that gets to the heart of of what we're talking about here, but for you to have the courage to not only like speak up and say like, I'm not good, right? Continue seeking resources despite all of these obstacles and barriers that came up for you. That's really incredible and says so much about like just your character and you as a person. Thank so you. I, like I have to commend you for that because it's I, I like, it's, ama- it's amazing. Like truly. Thank you. Yeah, I um I, I have to say another point that I kind of wanted to bring up to like that that fact and the culture in general. Um, I know we're kind of running up on time here a little bit, so <laughs> I'll keep it I'll keep it brief. But uh, I just wanted to point out like when when my friend and coworker did pass away, and my command knew that I wasn't good, um, I had to almost fight tooth and nail to not have to show up to a work environment that was giving me panic attacks every single day. Um, Thankfully, I had a flight officer that um, he was our, he was our doc that I, I won't say his name on here, but he was phenomenal and he advocated for me and he gave me two weeks of SIQ. So I didn't have to show up to work. Um, And people like that, the ones who step out and they, maybe put their ass on the line and they're like, Hey, you know, like I could get in trouble for giving someone two weeks of SIQ or, you know, I could get in trouble for advocating for this person. Like people like that are the ones who truly make such a difference in people's lives. And I think when we're talking about leadership, a lot of people are afraid to speak up. But what I have found in my experience is that when that one person that's afraid to speak up does speak up, it makes a difference in the lives of other people. Um, And so, you know, it, it might jeopardize some of your career. I don't know. I think that by me being vocal, that had I wanted to stay in at that particular command, I think that I did jeopardize a lot 
of my career there because people were very disgruntled with the petition. People were very disgruntled with me being very outspoken about, you know, not wanting to get a qualification where people were using and abusing the enlisted because they were qualified and because they were working hard at their job. Um, But I think that there's more positive that comes out of speaking up and standing up for yourself and standing up for others than there is like staying in the background and not being vocal. Um, Someone has to hold these people accountable for what they are doing. And I think it really starts with people speaking up for what they truly believe in. Mm. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. I mean, like I, I couldn't say it better myself. Like you're, you're spot on. Um, and I think you, you put some really great kind of nuggets and examples of like, okay, leaders. And like, by the way, everyone's a leader, right? Like, right. And I, I think, I think a lot of times in the military, we say that like, oh no, everyone's leader, but like, no, when it comes to like, advocacy and allyship and speaking up like our culture is shifting where like more and more people are starting to understand the value of each and every person right like we that's why that's why we're talking about inclusion and not just diversity right like inclusion is like this is part of this equation making people feel safe and valued and welcome and able to speak up when they sit when they're like feeling like i'm not okay right Right. so you you had some great nuggets for leaders there um i would really love for you to share you know based on your experience so far what you've seen if someone is struggling with mental health what are like the best resources that you have found um you know I talk to a lot of people all the time about resources and what I have found kind of is the general consensus is that because a lot of people are not comfortable going to base and talking to base. Some people are, some people love using fleet and family. Some people love going to base mental health. And that's of course, always a resource Mm -hmm. for anyone that wants to use it. But um, given our, is a phenomenal resource for people that want to go talk to a therapist that is off base. They, it's actually a network of therapists who donate an hour of their time. Um, it is free for active duty military. I'm not sure about reservists and veterans. Um, I have to look into that, but given hour is a great resource. I've used it myself. Um, a lot of people will say that looking at the apps like BetterHelp are really good too. I've never used those ones personally. I've only used the given hour um, TRICARE does cover out in town. Sometimes you might have to push a little harder to get that referral for out in town. But my last probably year in the Navy, I saw a therapist out in town and, um, she kind of coordinated with my psychiatrist on base. So that's definitely a resource. I have found some really, really great nonprofits, um, that people have recommended as resources too. But I think at the end of the day, the, almost, I don't know, I can't say it's the number one thing, but a lot of the people that I've talked to that have struggled with mental health and figured out something kind of on their own. And this is for maybe the people who aren't comfortable with therapy or don't want therapy, or, you know, maybe just aren't ready for it yet Mm -hmm. is finding something that you truly love. I think that in the military, 
as women, especially, we lose so much of ourselves in the uniform, in the mundane day-to-day tasks. And now I know you're in the health space. A lot of people will find a workout regimen to get themselves out of that mundane military lifestyle. Some people will travel every once in a while. I know, I know people that would go through the hassle because it is a hassle in your active duty of filling out all the paperwork to go somewhere overseas just to travel and get away. Um, picking up a new hobby, doing something you love, something to remind yourself that you're still a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is almost vital to everyone, whether you're struggling with mental health or not. I think it's crucial to have that. I didn't have that when I was in. And I think that had I established some kind of healthy hobby routine, something to bring me back to me, that would have been helpful. Cause I'm kind of taking this journey now of figuring out like, what is it that I can do that I really love and, you know, advocacy and mental health. That's a huge part of it for me, but for everyone, it's a little different. So I think that hands down, number one thing I could recommend is find some hobby, something you love. If you don't know, try something new. That's always fun as well, but that can definitely take your mind out of that negative space that the military environment can be so toxic in and can really drag people down into. So that's, that's probably hands down what I would say is find something you love and just do it. Oh, I love that so much. And uh, of course, like, as we're recording this, like the next thing on my calendar is I'm going to play Dungeons and Dragons with my <laughs> friends, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, um, but I think that's such a good point. And like, I mean, how many people have we seen that their entire identity is just wrapped up in being in the military and, and it really protects you and, and helps you be like a whole person. So I, I totally agree. Um, one resource I do want to add because I've used it personally in my life um, is Military One Source as well. So I was able to get um, therapy from like out in, ta- in town, um, and it can be for like freaking anything. Like I had anxiety about my relationship with my parents, and I went to therapy for it. Right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's another resource that I, I've also. Um, ha- had a lot of uh, great use out of, um, but man, I. I'm I'm so, like I'm feeling so inspired after this conversation and and I know that um the folks listening are as well. So where can people find you if they want to learn more, get involved, be an advocate, all all the things? Yeah, so my website is in the works right now, but it it should be up hopefully soon. It's uh www.ysdeh.com. It stands for your story doesn't end here. My podcast, your story doesn't end here. You can find on your major podcasting platforms. Uh, If anyone ever wants to reach out or if they want to be a guest on the podcast, I'm always welcome to having people on to come share their stories or, or even experts in the space when it relates to mental health. Um, or anyone that can provide any kind of value um, can send me an email at ysdeh.com slash, or wait, podcast at ysdeh.com. Yeah. Podcast at ysdeh.com. I just got that email. So yeah. All good. No, perfect. And, and I'll make sure that's all in the show notes as well. So folks can find that. But Rachel, thank you again so much for not only sharing your story, but just the work that you're doing and and the example that you're setting for others it's it's really important and um i man i am a cheerleader and an ally and i will be here <laughs> for whatever you need because i 
totally believe in your mission. Um, so, so thank you so, so much. Well, I appreciate it, Ashley. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I really look forward to making some really cool things happen together in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, folks need to go check out Rachel's podcast because uh, I'm a guest over there as well. So do a little swooty swap. Um, But awesome. Well, uh, until next week, keep on living your healthiest and most abundant life. We'll talk again soon. You've just finished another episode of the Healthy Women Warriors podcast. If you like the show, can you do me a favor? Go rate and review it. I would really appreciate it. And once you do, post a picture and tag at Ash McGee Coach so I can shout you out. Talk to you next week.